Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. So he says, what's reasonable because of what I did for you to save you and to forgive you and to cleanse you and to receive you as my own, it's reasonable that you would be a living sacrifice. Just live your life sacrificially for me. Can I tell you this? That the most fulfilled life human beings can live is a life surrendered to Christ in that way. The most empty life a human being can live is a life lived out in the flesh for themselves. Some people fear or hate Christianity because they see it as a life controlled and restricted by rules that a distant deity put in place. That's a lie from the enemy. Christianity isn't about rules. It's not about a prescribed way of living. It's about having a relationship with your loving creator. Today, Pastor Bill will remind us that God went to great lengths to have this relationship and living a righteous life is a natural response to the incredible grace and love that has been given to you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers chapter six for today's edition of A Transforming Word. John the Baptist, Mother Elizabeth, was blessed with the news of, of a child. And it was good news because she had been barren also. And she was going to have a son. And God told him with the name, told her with the name. I mean, he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. I mean, John the Baptist was a, you know, going to be the cousin of Jesus. But he was a unique dude. You know, he came out and mom had been giving this great word and testimony. You look at John the Baptist's life, another unique guy. Very unique in his life. But he spoke, you know, the image I get of John the Baptist is I just get a guy that's like got no filter. Anybody know some guys like that? They just, they're not going to say it soft. They're not going to give it to you, you know, with, with some extra cushion and some soft, mushy, gushy stuff. They're just going to give it to you. That was John the Baptist telling people, y'all need to repent. The Lord's at hand. It's coming back. And he did his ministry. But I want to look at Sam, Samson with you guys. And that's who most of us are familiar with. We know Samson because he had the long hair. Um, when, when Samson was born, this is what the Lord said. This was God knew that he wasn't going to complete the job, but God said he's going to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Israel's big enemy at this era was the Philistines. And God said, I'm going to raise up somebody to, to, to really put a dent in what the Philistines are doing to my people, to really let them know that I'm the Lord. Now, when you think of Samson and what he looked like, what do you guys imagine in your mind? I always imagine just big, buff, yoked up dude. Um, if you guys remember a history channel, when they did the, the Bible, I think Samson was a big black buff dude with some dreads, you know, he looked like like an NFL player, you know, they put some naughty dreads in his head, he looked like he was about that life, you know, uh, he could have had some gold teeth, you know, so the image I get is that, but I wonder I wonder if he was a little bitty scrawny dude, because his strength wasn't, it wasn't like he worked out real hard and got strong, his strength was that the spirit of God would come upon him and I wonder if it would have just been even more glorif glorifying to the Lord to have this little scrawny dude, just a little you know, just just a tiny guy, skinny, small, short, you know, little you know, knee knocking, you know, that guy just carrying fences and, and whooping dudes with a jawbone of a donkey. Um, I just think it'd be funnier, funnier that way. I, I will find out when we get to heaven. I, I wonder. We don't really get a, a physical description of him. But God's hand was on him in a special way. And this is the thing that you want to notice. When God's hand is on a man or a woman. In a special way, God's using them to defeat the enemy. What's the enemy got to do to that person? How do I, how does the enemy work again? How does he stop them? 
right? There's only one way. The only one way that the people of God that are called of God and empowered by God can be stopped. Only one way. And it's not through outside circumstances. It's not through warfare. Satan can't beat you in warfare. You already have the victory. He's got to press in. As you pray and obey, you have victory. He can't beat you through warfare. He can't, he can't possess you. He can't, he can't get inside you and make you do the wrong thing. You know how Satan stops? The people of God who are called by God and empowered by God through their own sins. Them giving into their own flesh. Them doing what they want. That's how he stops them. And so Samson, who you know, wasn't even that awesome in the sense of his obedient life, he was rebellious the whole time. The first girl he found, he was supposed to get an Israelite. He saw this other girl. He told his dad, I'm, I got to have her. You know, they, they said, son, don't you, can't you get a, you know, well, Israelite girl? No, she pleases me well. I got to have her. And he had her. And then that didn't work out. You know, she ended up marrying his best man. So, so he, you know, he went and, and, and did damage to the community for that and set the foxtails on fire and burned up all the crops. And, and her and her father's house got dealt with, you know, then, then he saw Delilah and she was going to be the end of him. You know, they said, they said Samson was the he man with a she weakness. And even though he had this great strength and great power from the Lord, he had a weakness. He, he liked these foreign women, um, these foreign non-believing women. There was something about that that had, had a grip on him. And he went after Delilah and she had been offered money, you know, to, to give her Samson's, you know, find out the, 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 find out the source of his strength and give it over to them. And like the enemy will do, you know, she and I, I read the story and I think like, man, you couldn't see through that. You know, if I was dating a woman and she said, you know, what would really make you mad? I said, man, if somebody crashed my car, I'd be hot. And I wake up and her friends have crashed my car. I'm like, and you, you know, we talk again the next day. You didn't even get mad. You know, what really would make you mad? Man, if somebody slapped me in the face and then one of her family was going to slap me. I'm like, everything you asked me. What would make me mad? I'll tell you, and it happened to me that day. I mean, you wouldn't get to do that to me two times, right? But Samson does, that's, a, that's the way the story goes. So tell me the, the source of your strength. Oh, you know, if you tie me up with, you know, with new strings, I'll be just like everybody else. And then he wakes up with Philistines in the room, and he's tied up, and he fell asleep on her lap. I mean, I won't tell you what I think he should have did, but he, you know, he, so he's back. They didn't break up that first time. It happens again. And, and each time it gets a little closer to the truth. And then it says that Delilah pulled out of her book the woman trick, the tears. Sam, you, you made a fool of me these three times. You tell me the story. You don't love me. And, you know, and she crying. He said, and, and it says that she just did this day and night. She was weighing on him. He finally broke. He said, okay, fine. My, my hair is my strength. I'm a Nazarite from the Lord. And da, 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 he gave her the truth. And she knew that time that it was the truth. And she called him back. And she lulled him to sleep on her lap and he got shaved and he was like everybody else. Why do I bring that up? Why do I point this out? So we're looking at this Nazarite vow and God said, this is a vow you take to be close to me, to be close to me, that you might be empowered for service, that we might be close, that, that forget about what you do for me. Forget about your service, that we might be intimate. We might be tight. We might be close. Samson forfeited that. And God puts that story in the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. Not so that I can look back and say, man, Samson was a fool, man. That's crazy what he did. Because we're just like Samson. Right? What area of the flesh do we give into that's hindering our service 
hindering our consecration, hindering our intimacy with the Lord? Is there areas? Are there things that we would look at and say, man, this is, I want to take heed to that, right? That's, Satan can't get inside me and he can't stop me from out there, but I can give into my own weaknesses to the point where I'm ineffective and disconnected and not where God wants me to be. And even though God does a wonderful thing in terms of how he reconciles and or he, how he redeems Samson's situation, um, you still you still read Samson's story and think, I wonder how much more God would have done had he been an obedient person. Like, what if Samson had been a really sold out, obedient type of character? How much more would the Lord have done with him? And that's we'll never know. We're never going to know because he, he wasn't. All we know is what God did do and the limitations. And at least he got to kill a bunch of guys at his death. But that's it. Moving on now, as we look at the, the vow of the Nazarite, and um, I want to read through the, the two more chunks, and then I want to explain what I believe is the New Testament parallel to the Nazarite vow for, for Christians, for you and I today. This wouldn't necessarily be something we would do. Um, you know, we wouldn't, I don't, you know, I guess you could. Um, I did see in the New Testament, um, Paul did this uh, in Acts 18, 18, and um, there were other instances where, for the, for the purpose of ministry, but I don't believe this is what God wants from you and I. I believe what he wants from us is something different. And so he still wants consecration and separation. But let's look at look at the next section with me. Look at verse 13. It says, now this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb in its first year without blemish as a burnt offering, one ewe lamb in its first year without blemish as a sin offering, one ram without blemish as a peace offering, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and their grain offering with their drink offerings. Then the priest shall bring them before the Lord and offer the sin offering and his burnt offering, and he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord. With the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering and his drink offering. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So he's making this offering to the Lord. It's a sin offering, a peace offering. He's adding to this offering, to the fire of the offering, his, his hair that was consecrated as he was a Nazarite, verse 19. And the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram, one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord, they are holy for the priests together with the breast and the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Verse 21. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes. So he must do according to the law of his separation. And the Lord spoke to Moses says, let me stop right there. So that's the law concludes with this. It ends this 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 separation time as a Nazarite ends with this with this awesome offering, a wave offering and a, 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 a fellowship offering, um, all these things that are being offered to the Lord. And so I believe the whole consecration was an offering. 
And it, it concludes with a, a final offering. And so is that what God wants from you and us? Does God want offerings and sacrifices? And I want everybody to turn here with me. Everybody look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I want to look at that with you real quick. Um, Romans chapter 12. I want to read verses 1 and 2. And I believe that this is what the Lord wants from us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And that word beseech, it means I beg you. I urge you strongly. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because God has been so merciful to you, that you present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, it says, which is your reasonable service, your reasonable act of worship. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so let's look back at that real quick. First, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you because God has been merciful because of the mercy of God that you would present your body a living sacrifice. Know that God doesn't want a dead sacrifice, right? At the end of this Nazarite vow, they took animals and they said, here, take this animal and the, the, the thigh of that animal and the breast of that animal and take all these things and we're going to offer them up and burn them up to the Lord. It's going to be a great sacrifice and a peace offering. God says, now I want you to be a living sacrifice, right? In the Old Testament, sacrifices were dead. In the New Testament, God says, I want a living sacrifice, right? And this, this is how you become a living sacrifice. How do I... If a sacrifice has to die, but God wants me to be the living sacrifice, this is how you do. You live dead to yourself. That's how you become a living sacrifice. I'm living, but I'm dead to myself. I'm a living sacrifice. I'm living my life in a sacrificial way to the Lord. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a seasonal thing. It's not something that we say, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a two month, the next two months, I'm going to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. God says, no, this is your, this is, because of what I did for you, dying on the cross in your place, this is now your reasonable act of worship. This is reasonable for you to live this way in response to what I did. Because he didn't become a living sacrifice for you and me. He actually died. Jesus became a dead sacrifice. He actually sacrificed himself for you and me. So he says, what's reasonable because of what I did for you to save you and to forgive you and to cleanse you, to receive you as my own, it's reasonable that you would be a living sacrifice. Just live your life sacrificially for me. Can I tell you this? That the most fulfilled life human beings can live is a life surrendered to Christ in that way. The most empty life a human being can live is a life lived out in the flesh for themselves. Just look at the rich and famous. Those are some of the emptiest people in the world. And we look at them and they, got, they, they have what everybody thinks if they had it, they'd be content or full. But now through the, the glories of social media, you look at what these people are posting and saying and tweeting and everything else, and you realize they got millions of dollars. But look at how empty they are. Look at what their life is full of that because they're, they're unfulfilled. They're empty, right? They're empty. The most, unful, the most unfulfilling way to spend your days on this planet is trying to, trying to, trying to live for yourself because you'll never be satisfied. Your, your, yourself will never, your, yourself has never said, that's enough. Yourself will never have enough money. It'll never have enough pleasure. It'll never have enough fun, enough relationship. Yourself, never be satisfied. Um, not too long ago in the Bible reading, we were in Ecclesiastes. And for you guys that went through the Ecclesiastes, what's the, the point of that whole book? Is you're looking at a man that had access to gold, 
well beyond what most people could do. He had more money than anybody could imagine. It says he made gold. He had so much gold that he made uh, silver as common as stones in his time. And he says, guess what, guys? I've been there, done that. It's vanity. Don't, don't waste your time. If you're looking for fulfillment in relationships, he said, I had 700 wives, 300 concubines. You can't get no more than that. I'm telling y'all, vanity. Don't seek relationships. He goes through the whole book. He said, I had accomplishments. I built things. I made vineyards. I made, I made things that were works of art. I built great things. I thought that would be it. But after I got done building it and looking at how great it was, he said, you know what? I realized that this is going to get left behind to somebody that came and appreciated it. And he said, that was vanity, empty. And when he got all the way to the end of the book, you know what he said? This is what I concluded. There's nothing better just to obey God. Just obey God. Like, live for the Lord. That's what he concludes when it's all said and done. So he's really giving you and I a cheat sheet. For you guys that are still out there thinking that you might find some fulfillment, uh, I'm sorry, Solomon is saying you won't, right? You won't find it. Your fulfillment will be found in serving God. And so that's what Paul says here. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And this is the same thing, holy, set apart, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, reasonable act of worship. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let this world conform you into its mold. Don't let the, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what's the result of that? When you're living for the Lord, sacrificially, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, and you're not being conformed to this world, but you're in the word and you're, you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, is this what's going to happen? You're going to be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You know why some people can't have a certainty about what God's will is for their life? Because they're not doing all the previous things. There are people that be in church for years. I just want to figure out what God's will for my life is. That's a guarantee. Go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Living sacrifice, holding acceptable, not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Proving something means I know it for a fact. I proved it. What is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? And so if you're still struggling with this, man, I want to prove, I want to know for a fact, go back to the previous things in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And because the same God that died for you, right? Just like these guys had purpose. They were set apart with purpose, the Levites. So too, God has set you and I apart with great purpose, wants to do great things in you and through you for his glory. And so um, back to numbers, we're going to finish the chapter. I just have a couple more little applications to make. So look at verse 22, 22 to 27. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Two things, and we're going to close. One, you've seen it in the first verse, and you see it here. The way that God related to this group of people is God would speak to Moses, and sometimes and Aaron, and then Moses would speak to the people. Moses was functioning as a mediator between the people and God. And at some points, the people were afraid of God. And they're like, Moses, we don't want to see God. You just, we're just going to tell you and you tell God. But God was, Moses functioned as a mediator. Now, in our era right now, the church era, is there a mediator between God and man? Hmm? Who is it? 
All right. There's, there's one mediator, the Bible says, between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. It is not the pastor. It is not the visiting prophetess. It's not the apostle. It's not the bishop. We live in an era right now where in churches, a lot of people want that sort of notoriety. They want to be in a place where I'll talk to you for God. And God said, that didn't exist anymore. You may get a word from the Lord. You may, but I just want you guys to understand, does anybody here have a better line with the Lord than anybody else? No. Because I'm the pastor, do I have better access? No. No. We all can seek God just the same. You can go home and get in your prayer closet and get it in just like I can. Everybody here has equal access because Jesus died for me just like he died for you. None of us needed it more. None of us needed it less. We all needed it just the same. So be careful about ever letting a man or a person become like a mediator. Every time you're trying to figure out something, you got to now understand if you're a new believer or you're a believer and you're, you're going to someone that knows the word better than you. And say, man, what, you know, I'm trying to figure out what God wants by the word and someone's able to point you to the word. That's a healthy thing. That's, that's, we do that for one another. But be careful about going to someone and they're going to guide your life without the word. I got a special word. Now, I, I, want it, I want it from the word. You can have a word for me, but can you read it? Can I have the verse? Can I, can I write it down and go back and read it for myself? I'm not, very, I'm not that interested in a whole bunch of side words. And I caution you guys. Because there are people that really get a kick out of, you know, there's a, they get looked at in a greater way than what's, what's healthy. And they have these words that are unval unverified, so forth and so on. Just be cautious. Again, I'm not saying be cautious of Christians that are giving you the word. Because we do that for one of us, edifying. And we want to be open to that. But be careful about somebody that is just wanting to speak into your life. I'm going to tell you what you should do. I was praying about that. And the Lord told me to tell you what you need to do is. Su, 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 su. I sat down. I'm not kidding. I sat down with a married person this week. Pastoral couple. They were married. They're now divorced. Now they're praying about working it out. Different group, different church, denominational group, whatever. But they had words. There were words from other people when this thing was breaking up. Inside words, words that help wedge things apart in a way that I'm saying, if I'm going to bring a word, if I got a man struggling in his marriage, I got a word. Love her like Christ loved the church. Die. That's a word. I got a word from the Lord. And you can go back and read in Ephesians 5 every day until it feel good to you. But that's what that's a word from the Lord. That's what we want. So be careful. I'm just warning you guys. So there was there was just this mediator kind of relationship back then that does not exist today. We go straight to the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. And we can be thankful for that. Amen. Last thing, I want you to just hear God's heart. God told them at the end of this whole Nazarite vow thing, he said, you know what, Moses? I want you to go speak over my people for me. Speak to them. Speak over them. Blessing. I want to bless them. Do you know that that's God's heart for you? That he wants to bless you. That's what he wants to do. He loves you. God's not mad. God's not mean. God's not looking at a chance. God's not looking for an opportunity to smash you or to get you. God says, man, he looks out like you look over your kids. He said, I love them. They bad, too. The children of Israel were bad. And God said, but you know, what? I just want to bless them. And so look at what he tells them to speak over his kids. Verse 24 through 26 again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God says, you know what? And when they speak this over them, he says, so 
um, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. The book of Numbers, well, it has a lot of numbers, but there's much more in this book than that. During their long, drawn-out journey, the Israelites' faith in God is tested. In return, these wayward people test God's patience towards them, but God remains faithful and true in looking out for His chosen people. When you think about it, it's no different today. People disobey and test God's patience, while they also endure hardships and challenges that they wouldn't have desired. But in all, God remains faithful through and through. If you missed any part of this series in the book of Numbers, you can hear these messages by going to CalvaryInglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our service times are on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you're unable to visit in person, we stream our services online. For more information, such as directions and links to media pages, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org. Again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Numbers, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You might be surprised by how things in this book might apply to the very things you're working through in your own life. So be sure to join us again to hear and be challenged by a transforming word.